Welcome to TIFF Talk, sponsored by Endogastric Solutions, a podcast that interviews physicians and real-life patients about the most common gastrointestinal disorder, GERD, commonly known as chronic acid reflux. Listen to patients and physicians interact, break down the disease from different perspectives, and learn how taking the next step in your treatment can change your life. For our audio listeners, you can see visuals on our YouTube channel at GERD Help. The TIF procedure may or may not be appropriate for your health condition. Only your doctor can explain the benefits and risks of all treatment options. Results may vary. Visit GERDHelp.com for more clinical data. The TIF procedure for reflux was developed by Endogastric Solutions Incorporated. Hello and welcome to our TIFF talk tonight. My name is Andrea Millers and I'm with Endogastric Solutions. I'm very excited to introduce two of our special guests this evening. Uh, we have Dr. Joshua Taylor and uh, his patient, Todd. So welcome to the both of you and thank you for being here. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So a little background on Dr. Taylor. Dr. Joshua Taylor is a general surgeon specializing in advanced laparoscopic and robotic surgery at the Surgical Clinic Rutherford in Smyrna, Tennessee. He obtained his medical degree from Johns Hopkins University and completed his general surgery residency at Vanderbilt University. Dr. Taylor is a board certified by the American Board of Surgery and is a fellow of the American College of Surgeons. Uh, and uh, Todd is Dr. Taylor's patient, as I mentioned, and he actually lives in Alabama. So um, welcome again, and thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, um, for those of you that have joined us, thank you for joining us. As you all know, this is a live event. So at any time, if you have any questions, please feel free to ask your questions in the comment section, and we will do our best to answer those questions this evening. Feel free to ask uh, a question to Dr. Taylor and or to Todd, um, whoever you'd like, and we'll try to get those. So we're going to go ahead and start our program, um, and we're going to start off with Dr. Taylor uh, discussing a little bit more about what is GERD um, and, you know, what are symptoms that patients could feel if they were suffering from, from GERD? So GERD is an acronym that stands for gastroesophageal reflux disease. Um, it is essentially a disease in which acid from the stomach refluxes up into the esophagus and that causes irritation of the can uh, produce a variety of symptoms. The most common symptom that people have is something that's called heartburn. It feels like you're having a burning in your chest, kind of in and around your heart. And so that's uh, where that term originated from. People can have pain um, in their upper abdomen. They may um, also feel some bloating or discomfort after eating. Um, and then if they have really severe symptoms, they can have uh, regurgitation of acid up into the top of their throat um, and feel like they're having kind of a, a frothy type uh, sensation. Uh, and what we would call alarm symptoms or the really severe symptoms are when people have it so severe that it's causing irritation of their airway. So people can have a 
chronic cough or a wake up in the mornings with a hoarse voice. Uh, it can be the source of a cause of developing bronchitis and pneumonias. It can even cause uh, irritation of the teeth and cause uh, breakdown in, in cavities. So those are kind of the variety of symptoms that patients can present with, with gastroesophageal reflux disease. Thank you, Dr. Taylor. And Todd, and Todd, I know you kind of suffered um, for many years with some of those um, uh, symptoms that Dr. Taylor had mentioned. Tell us a little bit about your story and how long you were suffering from. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I've had heartburn for as long as I can remember um, on and off, even going back to my teenage years, uh, I would take antacids. And then uh, Probably in my mid-30s, um, I started having some uh, occasional acid reflux at night when I would sleep and uh, ended up uh, in my late 30s getting on uh, PPIs. Um, I'm 52 now, so uh, you can do the math. So I've you know, I've been taking more than 10 years uh, on, on PPIs. Uh, so that's uh, that's it's it's progressively gotten worse as I as I've gotten older, um, and so I just had to really be careful about what I would eat and what time that I would eat. And for me, um, it's it had gotten where it was mostly at, at night when I when I would sleep. Uh, but the symptoms would be, uh, you know, I'd wake up with just um, you know I would actually feel the the acid run up into my throat. And um, so, and it was always, it was always very uncomfortable. And I would usually get up and try to take an antacid, even if I had taken my, my PPI that day. Uh, if I ever forgot to take the PPI or if I ate something that I shouldn't have, um, then, um, you know, it was, it was, it was just going to be a miserable night. And so, um, so I, I started looking for, um, I talked to my GI about it, about it, um, and they just, you know, kept take, telling me to take my PPIs, and and so that's that's the way I had managed it for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for your story. So, Dr. Taylor, talking about managing GERD, you know, you as a general surgeon, you're probably seeing patients at the point where they they're already done everything that they can, right? So. Um, you're not seeing them kind of at that early stages where they're just getting prescribed PPIs. But what would you um, normally recommend um, patients, you know, that are kind of trying to just manage GERD? You know, is, are there lifestyle changes that they should do? Um, you know, are there food modifications? Maybe just some of those things, if you can give some recommendations. So um, certainly as a uh, first course of treatment, we generally talk to folks about uh, diet and lifestyle modifications. And so uh, from a diet standpoint, uh, certainly uh, minimizing or cutting out caffeine. Um, chocolate has been uh, associated with increased reflux. Uh, certainly um, patients oftentimes talk about foods that are more acidic. So uh, citric uh, foods, uh, tomato-based foods can tend to cause more issues. And so avoidance of those uh, triggers can be incredibly important. Certainly people who smoke uh, are more at risk for developing reflux. And so uh, really any nicotine use um, is, is an increased risk factor. So whether that be chewing tobacco, dipping or smoking. And so we talk to folks about um, stopping their tobacco use. 
And then uh, other lifestyle um, modifications. Weight plays a role. And so weight loss can be helpful in uh, controlling reflux. And uh, other kind of simple things we talk to folks about, making sure that posture is a very important thing, having good posture, sitting upright, kind of keeping pressure off the, off the stomach, certainly after eating. Um, we also talk to patients about trying to eat at least two hours before they lie down uh, for bed, you know, uh, at, at night uh, to allow their food to be more digested and hopefully emptied out of the stomach so that reflux, uh, that acid is, is not um, as present in their stomach. And then, um, you know, there are certainly um, folks who sleep propped up in recliners or use multiple pillows. And so those are all things that um, can be used to help with um, uh, initial treatment of GERD. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Gosh, I've never heard of the posture one, but that makes perfect sense. <laughs> sense. <laughs> right. So I'm trying to sit up as talking. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, and let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the, the PPIs. I know Todd had talked about taking PPIs. And then let's talk a little bit more about um, moving into kind of diagnostic testing in order to determine if uh, a person is a candidate for the TIP procedure. Now, I understand that Todd has a very interesting story about getting his diagnostic testings and whatnot before he even found you. But before we go into that, Dr. Taylor, can you tell us what is your protocol and the testing that patients would generally have to do in order to determine if they've heard or can't? Uh, as you mentioned, as a surgeon, I typically see folks a little bit uh, sort of more progressed along their treatment course for GERD. But uh, if you're seeing your, your primary doctor, if you see a GI, uh, typically if you describe what we would consider uh, typical uh, GERD symptoms, they're, they're most likely going to place you on some form of an acid-reducing medication whether that be what's called an H2 blocker or a PPI, a proton pump inhibitor. Both of those medications work on the acid-producing um, cells within the stomach to actually decrease the amount of acid that is produced. Now, having said that, um, some people have a response to their symptoms who don't necessarily have true reflux. And so if we're talking about getting to the point of needing a procedure for your reflux, we want to know a couple of things. Number one is, is are you having true acid reflux? And so typically we uh, evaluate that with what's called a pH probe test. And so um, the way that that's typically done now is, is that a, a doctor will take a, and do an upper endoscopy scope and they'll place that probe within your esophagus. And over the course of several days, it'll monitor how much acid is refluxing it and it can give us a, an idea of how severe things are. Then the second part of acid reflux is, is that people who've had acid reflux for long times or other potential uh, problems can, can be associated with difficulty swallowing. And so if we're talking about performing a procedure that is going to uh, decrease the amount of things that can reflux up, it's also going to potentially affect how well you swallow. And so uh, typically we obtain a test called a manometry, an esophageal manometry. Uh, which is essentially just a, a pressure readout to tell us kind of how strong and how effective the esophagus functions so that 
if we decide that you're a candidate for the TIF, uh, we want to make sure that you're not going to have issues swallowing after the procedure. Perfect. Thank you. Sorry, I was on mute. Okay. <laughs> uh -oh. Typical uh, Skype issue, right? Um, thank you for that, Dr. Taylor. Yeah. Uh, Todd, tell us, so tell us about your story. I know that uh, Dr. Taylor wasn't originally the first physician that you saw for your GERD. Um, kind of give us your, your story on, on what happened there. The person that, you know, my, my primary care physician was the one that had been prescribing uh, the uh, uh, PPIs for me. Um, one thing I haven't shared, um, my, my father-in-law um, got esophageal cancer and, uh, and he ended up uh, passing away from other causes. But um, just, just knowing what uh, the treatment is for esophageal cancer and learning about that, I, I didn't want that. And so um, with, with GERD, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a risk factor. And so certainly put that on my radar for me. Um, so I began researching it and paying more attention to, um, to that. And, and, and then um, when I turned 50, it was time for uh, uh, the uh, colonoscopy. And so I went and saw the GI and uh, we had a talk and about let's do the top side as well. Just make sure you do the bottom side second. Um, so, uh, so we, we, we did that. And, uh, and so he, he showed, he showed me, you know, some results where I had, you know, signs and symptoms of GERD. It was not, it had not progressed to a condition called Barrett's esophagus or anything like that. I had been, I'd already learned about the TIF ahead of this, um, ahead of this procedure. And so, um, so I, I started talking to him about it and he was not familiar with it. And I had my iPad with me and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a strange patient. I pulled out the iPad and showed him the video. And um, so he said, oh, this is like the Nissan fund application, but it's, but it's different. And so, uh, you know, he, 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 but he, but he wasn't really familiar with the procedure itself. So um, he was not able to, to guide me. So on my own, I ended up, uh, I, I spent probably more than 18 months researching, is this, do I think this is right for me? And then uh, I made the decision, yeah, I think this is right for me. And so I began looking for that would do it. And so look, researched several providers and found Dr. Taylor and Dr. Melvin and uh, uh, placed a call to them for a consultation appointment, uh, went and got that. Dr. Taylor wanted to do some, some diagnostics to make sure that that I am a candidate. You know, I, I brought all my medical records previously that I had, but esophageal manometry was one that he, that he was interested in. And so I live two hours away. I'm in North Alabama and he's, he's in, um, outside of Nashville. So, uh, we were able to do my, um, diagnostic testing here locally. So I saw a different GI for that, um, esophageal manometry and him about it. Uh, he, he, actually tried to talk me out of it. And so I started questioning him why. And he just said, I just need to, you just need to keep taking your pills. It's uh, there's the research out there that says this and research out there that says that, but 
you know, they're safe. You just need to keep taking them. And the thing that kept sticking in my mind is I have a, I have a, uh, a mechanical problem, not a chemical problem. I have a sphincter muscle that's, you know, between my um, esophagus and stomach that's loose. And, and I don't, I don't have a chemical problem. And so, um, so ended up uh, after, and I didn't do too well on the esophageal manometry test. So Dr. Uh, Dr. Taylor was a bit concerned about my ability to swallow post the surgery. So we, he ordered a barium swallow test. And so I did the barium swallow test and, and that gave him assurance that, that this was gonna work. Um, so we went through with the procedure. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. First and foremost, I'm sorry to hear about your father. Uh, um, interestingly enough, April, which was two days away, is Esophageal Cancer Awareness Month. Um, so we're actually um, doing a lot to um, help build awareness around esophageal cancer awareness. Um, and, it, and you're absolutely right. You know, GERD is a precursor, if you will, um, to that. So um interesting about your story that you had gone to several different positions some that did know about it or some that didn't know about it uh, and then also some that were trying to talk you out of it and I always love to hear the stories from the patients that kind of become their patient their own advocate um, and do their own research and find out what do they think is right for them because I think every patient is different Dr. Taylor you probably agree with me um, on that and and kind of rolling into, you know, GERD treatment, what are the GERD treatment options are, that are out there? You know, TIF is one of them, and it's not always going to be the perfect one for everybody. But can you discuss a little bit about um, different options for GERD? You know, you can even talk about comparison of Nissen and TIF. And... Yeah, so um, when somebody like Todd gets to the point where, um they're concerned about how long they've been on PPIs or their reflux is uh, worsening and um, the, the medications are not working anymore for them effectively, then that's when we begin to start talking about the idea of uh, what we call an anti-reflux procedure. Um, and so the traditional anti-reflux procedure uh, that I think most physicians are familiar with is certainly something called a Nissen fund application. It's where uh, the top part of the stomach is freed from its attachments and then wrapped around the esophagus. And so the way I describe it to patients is, is it's creating a essentially a speed bump, uh, if you will, to slow the flow of, of things both in and out. Um, and so um, I, from my perspective as a surgeon, um, you know, I, I was trained uh, and, and have performed the Nissen fund application. It is what we in surgery would consider probably the gold standard for an anti-reflux procedure um, because it is so effective. The problem that we have is, is just like in Todd's case, I don't think that he would have been a very good candidate for that procedure because his esophagus was not functioning normally. And I think probably from longstanding issues from how long he's had GERD. Um, and so there, there are variations on that procedure 
that we have performed historically uh, surgically, something called a toupee, which is where you kind of create just a, a C-shape wrap around the esophagus so it doesn't completely wrap it. But um, you compare that to the TIF. Uh, and so the TIF uh, is really, as I've begun to perform this and see it and uh, I've had patients undergo it, from my uh, perspective, it's, it's much more of a anatomic uh, similarity to what we should naturally have. Uh, so we take the tissue internally and we build that up using the scope device and the, um, the H uh, sutures that help at the junction of the esophagus and the stomach to create that what we call internal fund application or gathering up of the, of the tissue. And so it, it almost creates sort of a, a one-way valve, if you will. And so when you swallow, you know, things aren't going past that that outside pressure, that speed bump of like the Nissen that's there, but more things are passing through the valve. And now you've taken and that internally bunched up tissue is going to come back together and it's not going to allow things to reflux back up. And then finally, um, the other um, common procedure is um, what they call uh, sphincter augmentation, uh, magnetic sphincter augmentation, uh, primarily the links procedure. Um, and so, you know, there are a variety of, of issues as to why somebody would undergo that, but it's a, it's a series of uh, very weak magnets that are attached on a, a string, essentially. And so as you swallow, they can stretch out, uh, but then they're, they're quickly brought back together. And again, that can prevent things from refluxing up. And so um, the uh, workup that a patient will undergo uh, the manometry, the barium swallow, those are things that are incredibly important to help make a decision about what a patient needs. And one of the things we haven't talked about yet, which is also sometimes patients have hiatal hernias and those hiatal hernias can affect um, their reflux. Um, and so that makes a difference in terms of what we would perform as well. Perfect. I'm glad you brought that up. Can you explain what a hiatal hernia is? And I know, Todd, you had both your uh, concomitant procedure, hiatal hernia repair and uh, the TIF procedure. Can you explain what a hiatal hernia is just briefly? And, and then we've got tons of questions that have popped up. So we'll go yeah. through those after. Yeah. Um, so a hiatal hernia is a hernia through the diaphragm muscle. So the diaphragm muscle, our, our, uh, one of our primary breathing muscles, separates essentially our chest from our abdomen and the organs uh, in between. And so the esophagus, the swallowing tube, will pass through a small opening through the diaphragm muscle. Well, that opening can get larger over the course of life, um, doing heavy uh, labor or uh, lifting activities, pregnancy, aging, weight. And so that opening can then allow for the abdomen, the abdominal contents to push up into the chest. So we generate more pressure because of our muscles in our uh, abdomen. And so that can cause the stomach to push up. And so um, studies have shown that that diaphragm muscle is actually very much a part of our natural reflux barrier. And so if that's not intact, then that's when we start thinking that with surgery, we need to repair that as well. Perfect. Thank you. I appreciate you um, explaining that. Um, okay, let's get to some questions. First, first things first, Suzanne is asking, what does TIF stand for? 
<laughs> Great. So TIF uh, stands for Transoral Incisionless Fundoplication. So what that means is, is we're going to go through the mouth, so transoral, uh, and there are no incisions to perform the procedure. And then the fundoplication, like I said, is that kind of gathering or bunching up of the tissue at that area where the natural reflux valve should be. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, and we have another question from Din. Uh, they're asking, are these tests, so they're probably talking about the diagnostic test, something standard by every doctor or something we should be asking about? Because my GI, my GI doctor said she doesn't do surgeries for this, so she referred me to someone else. So what should I be asking to know if I'm a candidate for TIFF? So certainly from my perspective, I think the worst thing that I could do is make somebody's problem worse. And so that's why I think those tests are very important. The um, checking the PAH uh, test, the manometry test, uh, and the barium swallow test sometimes, all of those are going to give us information about what uh, is the appropriate, what we can do appropriately for you so that we can best control your reflux, but also manage any potential issues that have come up over time. Again, that reflux can really cause irritation and, and um, weaken the esophagus muscle. And so if you can't swallow and somebody tells you you, you need a Nissen, you might wake up and not be able to swallow at all. And so you know, for me, that would be something I would want to never happen. And so absolutely, I think that, um, you know, in my training, the way I was uh, taught about uh, how to work this up is, is you want to know what their anatomy looks like. And so if somebody's had a scope, you can tell if they maybe have a hiatal hernia and uh, what things look like internally. Uh, alternatively, the barium swallow can show you the pictures of their anatomy. You want to know how strong their esophagus is, and that's where the manometry comes in. And then you want to see that they have what we consider objective or measurable signs that they truly have reflux. So again, typically that's the pH probe, but sometimes there are signs like Todd had on his scope of having already sort of some changes associated with reflux. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. Uh, we have another question. This one's for Todd. Uh, Shane's asking, Todd, what was your recovery like? Well, um, I had the surgery on a Friday. Uh, Dr. Taylor told me not to work, plan on not working for a week. I work from home. Uh, I, I sit in, actually, I sit in this chair every day <laughs> uh, working from home. Um, I worked on Monday, but it was not a, it was not a work day. Uh, I, my, cause I had spent the weekend kind of lounging around, um, and, uh, and I was, Monday was not a good, a good day for me from a, from a work standpoint, but I, I did work pretty much the whole day. Um, but fortunately I have a sedentary job. Um, the diet was a, a bit of a, that's a, that's a little bit of a challenge. So it's, uh, first three days was clear liquids and then you go to, uh, liquids that are not clear so I could have strained soups and cream of chicken soup became my friend um, and that graduated uh, to semi-solids and things all the way up to six weeks and uh, that was a that that was probably the most difficult part for me because one of my primary drivers for having this surgery is I like to eat 
and uh, so, so that was a uh, uh, it was uh, I, I had never I'd never done without uh, you know for me uh, fasting for a cholesterol check in a in in the morning time is is that's that's a that's a major major deal and so this would you know going uh, going six weeks without you know having a piece of grilled chicken or a steak or a you know something like that was uh, that was going to be a a big, a big deal for me. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I never really missed a beat. Um, I had a, uh, a pretty tight weight restriction. I think it was 10 or 15 pounds. And so I might've milked that a little bit around, around the house. Uh, to, uh, so, but, and I had, I had some pain. I think the pain was, uh, my, my pain really didn't start till probably Monday or Tuesday. And I think the pain, um, actually, I called Dr. Taylor's office because I, I was saying something's not this. I, I shouldn't have this shoulder pain. It was up, up in my shoulder and and I was concerned about it. And But I, I was not taking my pain pills. And so um, I had done some reading on the Internet and that got me uh, concerned that I had a more serious condition. And Dr. Taylor said, you know, take your pills and let me know if that doesn't resolve it. And it resolved it. So um. well, there you go. There you go. A little, there you go. There you go. A little, a little four to six weeks. Like, where are you today? Um, are you able to eat the foods that you want? Are you able to, are you back to your old self again? Yeah. I mean, I have no restrictions now and um, you know, I can eat anything, drink anything. Uh, you know, I, I, I've not had any trouble with, uh, with any food so far. Fantastic. Uh, uh, one one yeah. thing I will add, uh, just as during that four to six week period, uh, we were, we, Dr. Taylor and I were both concerned about my swallowing ability. And so, uh, because I, I didn't do well on the, uh, esophageal manometry test. And so, I had some slow swallowing and, you know, he, he described to me that at the time when the surgery is done, there's going to be some swelling and, and, but what that felt like was I would swallow and, and usually the first bite I would swallow and it would go down no problem. Second or third bite, um, it would get here and, and it would feel just like some pressure in my chest and, and then it would just go down slowly. And so I just had to eat slower, especially during that six weeks. Um, but that's completely gone away. And so, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You know, um, I, I believe and Dr. Taylor, you can speak to this, you, you know, you fixed his hernia as well as creating a new valve for him. So, um, compared to what you were used to having everything come down pretty easy, you know, you, to your point, you got to take things a little bit slower, uh, right, Dr. Taylor? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I, I think you know uh, if a patient undergoes what uh, Todd underwent, which was uh, what we would call um, abbreviated a C-TIF, which means concomitant hiatal hernia repair with the TIF. 
uh, or even just a pure TIFF, everybody's going to have some sort of uh, version of some difficulty swallowing early on. After we do the procedure, we know that things are going to be a little swollen. Um, and certainly, I mean, I think Todd's kind of time frame there that third, fourth day after surgery is typically when it's at its most severe. And so uh, that's a very um, common time frame for me to begin to hear from patients uh, about some feedback of issues they may be having. And then that's why I think the, the advancement of the diet being kind of very slow and methodical is also very important is, is that it gives time for that swelling to improve, for things to begin to heal, um, to not overdo or overstretch where we've created that valve or, or repaired that hiatal hernia. Um, uh, because we want, uh, quite frankly, some good scar on that area so this doesn't happen again, hopefully. And so, um, you know, I, sticking to the diet is certainly very important. It is challenging uh, for folks. I, Todd is not alone in that. Um, we all like to eat. Um, and so, uh, it is, what I tell folks is, is, you know, it's, it's a limited amount of time to get to the, the end goal of having relief, uh, and some normalcy for yourself. Yeah, that's perfectly said, uh, Dr. Taylor. Um, so we've got a couple more questions. Um, we've got Jamie and she's asking what can cause conflict, ooh, where do you, just jumped away. Sorry. What can cause conflicting test results? Example, a CT scan shows a hiatal hernia, but barium swallows says no hernia. Well, uh, one of the things you have to think about is, is the way you're positioned when you're having that test. So you may have what's called a, a sliding hiatal hernia, which is a very early hiatal hernia. And so when you're having a CT scan, you're lying flat. And so all the pressure from your belly and, and everything is then going to be pushing things up. So you may actually see that on the CT scan, but typically when you're doing a barium swallow, you're actually sitting upright. And so if you have a small hiatal hernia, um, it may not show up on the, on the barium swallow. And so, um, you know, that's why having somebody look over those images, maybe potentially having a third study, such as a upper scope, where they can go in and actually potentially physically see the, the hernia uh, is important. Perfect. You. Another question we've got from Andrea. She's asking, uh, from what I've read, on average, the dur of a TIF is around ten years. Assuming this is the average, and I'm in my early forties, can I realistically have the TIF redone multiple times throughout my life? That's a great question. So, um, I, what I would say is, is uh, quite frankly, I tell folks for any anti-reflux procedure, really most of the literature would say 10 years is, is about the uh, ideal number that we would want before somebody potentially starts to think about uh, or starts having symptoms and maybe needs something else done. I think the great thing about the TIF, because it's transoral, we're not having to go back in and, and redo the, the wrap externally with surgery where scar tissue and things like that can be. And so I think the TIF is well suited to help someone who maybe is younger and earlier in life who, you know, over 20, 30 years may need something else done again. And so we can go back in and, you know, Obviously, they'll undergo testing again to make sure everything is as it should be. But I think the TIF is well suited to be able to redo or or help sort of snug up things that that have maybe loosened over time. 
Perfect. Thank you. We've got some very uh, um, educated patients that are asking yeah. questions. So I'm not surprised on these questions, but I will read them to you. Um, so this one, I've read, this is from Mitch. I've read the, um, the one-year reoccurrence rate for hydrohernia is about 10%. Is this because the stitches aren't flexible, as in they don't stretch with motion? Uh, that's a that's a great question. Uh, the truth is, is we probably don't fully know all the reasons why hiatal hernias recur. But um, the biggest issue you have to think about is is that number one, uh, I'm going to use my hand here to to kind of mimic the diaphragm, the opening the diaphragm, and then the swallowing tube. Okay, so every time you swallow, that muscle kind of squeezes and moves. So there's constant movement there. And then certainly every time you breathe, your diaphragm muscle is also moving. So that constant movement and motion uh, can affect it. When you swallow also, you, you know, let's say you take a big bite of something and you do like me and you don't chew it very well and you just choke it down. Well, that can stretch that opening up a little bit. Um, certainly if we, as we age and our, our weight gets um, uh, worse or uh, we're staying, you know, active and physically fit, all of those can be reasons why there's pressure. And, and so as a general surgeon, I treat all types of hernias. And one of the things I tell folks about hiatal hernias is, is we can't completely close the hole. The ideal situation to fix a hernia would be if I totally close the hole, that's going to prevent any hole from coming back. But since you have to have an opening for your swallowing tube to go through, every time there's pressure or movement, there's going to be stress and strain put back on that hole. And so, yes, there is a higher chance of a hiatal hernia coming back. Thank you. Uh, he's got a second part to his sure. question. <laughs> is there a way to induce scar tissue just at the crua, like with electro or mechanical stimulation, so as to ensure strength? similar to the concept of the scar tissue developing for strength with the TIFFs staples. And he says, thank you. You guys are great. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you. I, I, um, I like his thought. Uh, to my knowledge, there's not been any, any data that has shown that to be more effective at, at creating scar tissue than the scar tissue that's sort of naturally created when we do surgery. Um, and so uh, there's even, you know, Certainly in situations, sometimes if there's a very large hernia, uh, we may use a, uh, we'll call a biologic material uh, that can help reinforce or strengthen that area early on. And so the data that's been studied shows that it does help early prevent the chances of a hiatal hernia coming back. But over time, those, those if you had mesh or not mesh, those numbers kind of come together and your chances of a hernia coming back are similar with time. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, one last question, and we'll, we'll kind of um, roll to, um, to the ending of this talk. But um, Tyler's asking, can I get a TIF if I have ferret esophagus? So uh, I think the first question would be sort of what stage of Barrett's esophagus and, and the findings that are there. But certainly what I would say is, is that that is not a absolute uh, contraindication or reason that you cannot have a TIF. Um, and anti-reflux surgeries have been shown to help prevent the progression of Barrett's and TIF would be very similar into that. And so uh, Barrett's alone is, is not a reason that you can't have a TIF. Okay, thank you. Um, we'll, we'll get 
to one last question. We got a lot of questions, guys, so it's good. Um, I just had an upper GI, this is from James. I just had an upper GI and in the recovery room, uh, he asked his gastroenterologist if he would be a candidate for the TIF. I mean, the doctor said no, um, but none of the meds have helped him in the past five years. So he's wondering, um, are there doctors who just aren't being open to this procedure? And, and this is more deep, Dr. Taylor, have you seen, or, or even maybe you, Todd, because you ran into this a couple of times, have you seen any professional resistance to, you know, doing the TIF procedure? Todd, you go ahead. <laughs> I had uh, one GI that was not familiar with the TIF, but uh, so he couldn't advise me. Um, and I had another one that just said he would uh, would not recommend it. Um, and but but in the discussions, <laughs> I'd done a lot of reading ahead of that, and I started uh, um, I started quoting some of the statistics statistics that uh, that I had read and I asked him where his data was from and it, he he just didn't give me anything that uh, that that comforted me so um, I, I I follow data <laughs> yeah yeah that's great yeah Dr. So my, my answer to that would be certainly there may be physicians who are not educated about what the TIF procedure is. Uh, so there certainly may be that component of it. Um, but I think in fairness, um, most GI doctors are, are familiar with the surgical fundoplication. And, you know, that is not without its issues. And it's why I have transitioned by and large the majority of my practice to the TIF, uh, because I have seen less of those issues that patients have after surgery with a Nissen with the TIF, so difficulty swallowing. Sometimes you can't burp or belch. Um, and, and so there, there are lots of things that can go into that. And so uh, doctors may have seen other patients who have undergone those types of procedures. And I, I think in fairness, they would probably want to warn their patients against something like that. So they may not be familiar with the TIF. They know what a surgical fund application is, and they're like, listen, you're not that bad off. You don't want to undergo that just yet. And so certainly there may be some co component of educating them that, well, there's there's this other procedure and, and things like that, but also doing like Todd did, which is doing your own research. And, and I think certainly uh, evaluating that and, and the resources that are um, provided through GERDHelp.com that Indigastric Solutions has, I think is a, is a really great resource for that. Yeah, that's perfectly that's perfectly said, and and thank you for answering that. Um, that's a that's a tricky one, right? Um, so, you know, I always say an educated patient is always the best patient, right? It's it's do your homework, kind of be your own patient advocate, um, and if you're not a hundred percent comfortable with what they're telling you, doesn't mean it's wrong or right. It's just what you feel is right for you, and and the physicians will say that too, right? To the patient, like everyone's different, and and not every um, procedures or, or treatment option is the right treatment option. So um, with that said, as we conclude this TIF talk, um, I'll start with you, Todd. Um, what, what are your last um, words of advice that you would give to um, patients that are watching tonight? I, I think uh, doing your own research, uh, um, I, I don't think you, I don't think any individual should put their total health care 
in the in the hands of totally in the hands of a physician. I think you you want to use physicians and you want to take the advice of physicians, but ultimately your health is your own health. And and so that's so you have to own that. And so that's um, that's that's my advice. And I have you know I, 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 I make that comment with you know all the respect in the world for Dr. Taylor. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Um, Dr. Taylor, uh, how about you? Any words of advice for anyone watching tonight? Well, I would certainly echo what Todd just said, which is, is as a patient, certainly do your homework. I think there's lots of stuff out there that can help um, patients uh, learn and understand about the benefits of the TIF about maybe why being on PPIs and H2 blockers long-term is, is not good. Um, but also you wanna make sure that you, when you sit down with your physician, you understand why am I a candidate? What do my results show? What can I reasonably expect? Uh, I, I think that uh, that knowledge can be empowering for patients. Perfectly said, thank you. Well, thank you both so much uh, for joining us this evening. I know everybody that was on tonight, there was quite a few people um, really enjoyed it and, and thanked you both for being on here and, and giving, you know, obviously your, your honest feedback, Todd, and then Dr. Taylor, your expertise. So we can't thank you enough. Um, if you're in, um, is it Smyrna? Is that how you say it? Smyrna? Smyrna. Smyrna. Yeah. Smyrna, I'll get it. Smyrna, Tennessee. Uh, you can see Dr. Taylor. Um, and, and if you're a little bit further away, like Todd was, um, you still can. But if you're not, you can go to GERDHelp.com, as Dr. Taylor had mentioned. Um, there is a lot of information on there. In addition to that, you um, can find a physician in your area by putting in your state and or zip code. Uh, and you'll be able to find a physician, a TIF-trained physician, if you will, um, in your area. So on that note we can't thank everybody enough for joining us thank you very much for your questions dr taylor and todd thank you so much for joining us this evening if you are suffering from chronic acid reflux and want more information please visit girdhelp.com or download our gird help mobile app thanks for tuning into another episode of tiff talk leave your questions and comments on our social media at GERD Help. Live well, GERD free.